Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of A Week in Watches, a weekly look back at interesting watch news and stories. I'm your host, Zach Weiss. Thank you for joining me. Last week, we actually had Blake Bettner on uh, the episode he hosted, um, and you know, I think he did a great job. So he'll probably be back soon, maybe even next week, uh, we'll see. This week, we've got everything from Timex to AP, and I'll give you uh, my two cents again. It's been a little while since I've done that. But first, this week's episode of A Week in Watches is brought to you by Bell & Ross and their new BRX5 Advanced Time Instrument featuring the BRCal323 manufacturer movement. Stay tuned to later in the show for more on the BRX5. The last hurrah of the Giorgio Galli S1. Timex's Giorgio Galli watches are uh, like the Lexus to their Toyota, an offering by the brand that stands above the rest in terms of both complexity and finishing and price too, but you know, in a Timex kind of a way. A creation by Timex's creative director, Giorgio Galli, eponymous design. They have uh, an exotic design language for Timex certainly, um, but kind of also as well for watches at that price point. Um, notably, they feature an injection molded mid case that has cutouts through it. So if you're looking at the watch from the side, you can actually see straight through the lugs. That's not milled, that whole thing is injection molded and then finished, which is a really cool manufacturing technique. And it also shows off an inner case, which is then further decorated um, and can be uh, colored as well. So it's a very nice touch. The whole thing is always finished really nicely. They feature domed metallic dials with uh, a little synthetic sapphire above six, which is sort of, I think, something that they're gonna do on the Giorgio Galli watches to sort of mark them as a, as a separate series. Uh, they also feature very nice custom rubber straps that had a tail with a little bolt on it that kind of stuck into itself. So you never had a tail hanging off of your watch strap, just subtle little things here that they thought of that you know just made the whole watch uh, really nice. Additionally, they use Miyota 9039 movements, which are you know uh, a very nice automatic movement by Miyota, a bit thinner, a bit faster, 28,800 beeps per hour. And these were the only watches in Timex's collection that use this slightly higher end movement. The retail price of these watches, like I said, is a bit higher for Timex, but not expensive in the scheme of watches. Uh, certainly, even in this episode, there's gonna be a few that are much higher. Uh, and they came in around 450 as a starting price, so a little bit higher from there as well. Earlier this year, they launched the Giorgio Galli S1 in 38 millimeters down from the original 41 millimeters, which just sort of like improved the whole fit and finish and feel of the watch overall, really kind of came into its own at that point. They also featured sapphire crystals, whereas the very first edition, um, I believe only had K1 mineral crystal. Once again, at $450, K1 mineral crystal is, is totally understandable, but now adding in sapphire just was that much of kind of a nicer option. The time of the S1 is coming to a close. So as a grand finale of the Giorgio Galli S1, they released two new versions uh, in that 38 millimeter case, but this time they are plated. So the originals were all steel, now there are two plated versions. So first is by far my favorite Galley S1 so far, um, and it's an all black version, just totally blacked out. Black case, black dial, hands, markers, etc. Um, I believe even the uh, rotor is actually black on these uh, movements as well, which is just a nice touch. It just looks super sleek, uh, really kind of just a watch that works in black, and not all watches work all blacked out like that. To be honest, Given the price, I'm not 100% sure if I can resist it. This goes for $475, so just a little bit above that 450 mark where they started. 
Once again, really not bad. Once You know, it's a Miyota 9039 with a sapphire crystal and a really cool case. The other version is black and gold. Um, also very nice looking. Uh, gold PVD case and black dial with gold accents. Um, this one is a limited edition of 500 numbered pieces. So I think this is supposed to be sort of the collector's edition of the S1 for, uh, you know, Timex. Uh, collectors out there as well as just big fans of the galley um, watches in general and this one comes in at 495 so yeah this marks the end of the s1 but the s2 is coming we haven't seen anything yet but they have hinted at it and they did tease that it will have a swiss automatic which no other timex currently has um, yet still be under 1k We'll see. So what do you want to see from the S2? Just uh, an evolution of the S1, some you know minor variations, or something totally new, a totally different direction? Uh, let us know in the comments. Anmar Piguet has us seeing stars. So Anmar Piguet uh, doesn't need much of an intro, commonly referred to as a P, which is what I will call them from the rest of this episode for brevity. Uh, they're famous for many things, but none more so than the Gerald Genta designed Royal Oak watches. Um, but we're not here to talk about Royal Oaks, Thankfully, I'm not actually a huge fan. I can figure out why, I don't know. Anyway, AP has, has, has another line. They actually have a few other lines, but the one we're talking about today is the 1159, Code 1159. Launched in 2019, the Code 1159 watches have had some growing pains. By all accounts, they are remarkably beautiful watches in the metal. The case design is really quite elaborate and exceptionally finished, but the dials were sort of odd. They had sort of an odd uh, like design language to them, particularly the typefaces, the branding concept, the whole Code 1159 thing was a little bit off-putting. So they had a bit of a rough start, to be fair. Of course, there have been some really beautiful versions of the watches since. They didn't just give up on them far from it. They've continued to release these watches. Uh, they tend to be also very high-end. They've done some really high-end complications. Some of my personal favorites were the Aventurine Dialed Perpetual Calendar. Um, just really stunning there. And they have one called the Grand Sonnerie Carillon Super Sonnerie. I might have pronounced that incorrect. I apologize. Which has, has this really beautiful uh, enamel dial with this kind of ripply wave pattern on it. Uh, sort of abstract and just absolutely stunning. It's a, you know, a sonnerie, so cost some outrageous number is not even listed on the price, so don't even worry about it. This last week, however, AP launched a watch that perhaps will bring the 1159 into its own, kind of bring the spotlight to the watch and, you know, I think let people kind of uh, enjoy it for what it really is and get past, you know, the, the fuss and whatever that, that kind of clouded the original launch. So that watch is the Code 1159 Star Wheel. So the Star Wheel name and concept date back uh, actually to the early 90s when AP launched the very first Wandering Hour wristwatch, um, also of the same name, the Star Wheel. This featured a gold guilloche dial with three transparent satellites rotating above it. At the top of the dial was a 120 degree arc with an index on it of numerals. Uh, zero through 60. Um, and as the satellites wandered past, the number on that satellite would kind of connect with the minutes and you could essentially read it like a digital watch. These days, this time-telling method or readout concept, whatever you want to call it, is uh, most closely associated with Orwork, sort of the basis of a lot of their watches, the Wandering Hour, but it did in fact originate um, at least in wristwatch form with AP. It dates back in clocks much, 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 much further past. But back to the code. 
The original Star Wheel was uh, only in production for a few years. Um, I think it might not have been a huge success in the early 90s, but those were weird times. But now it's back in a much more modern form. So the semi-traditional styling of the original is gone, but the same uh, three satellite setup with a 120 degree arc at the top uh, has been used. If, if you look at the two side by side, totally different watches, but you can see that one refers to the other. Instead of transparent discs, this time it has black discs uh, in a metal frame. Everything is just much bolder looking, much more aggressive. Um, and they are all floating above a blue aventurine glass dial. Um, I am a sucker for aventurine glass. This is something I've, I've learned about myself over the, the last couple of years. Uh, I think it's just absolutely beautiful. And when it's used uh, to, a, to a good effect, really, you know, can uh, make a watch look very special. And I think it does so in this case. Combined with the 1159 case, I think this really does just look great. I mean, it just kind of makes sense. It's uh, contemporary. It's exotic. The wandering hour concept suits the design language of the case, which is uh, made out of white gold, but with a ceramic mid case. So there's parts of it that are black. Those are actually ceramic. And then there's essentially this sort of uh, white gold uh, cage around it that has various pass throughs cut through it. Um, interestingly, it's sort of similar to the Giorgio Galli S1 in some respects. Not literally, but if you look through, there's some of that similar sort of contemporary design language. Unlike the original 1159s, this model seems to have been very well received. People are really excited to see the star wheel return. Of course, this is an AP. Uh, so it's priced as a very high-end luxury watch as well. The code 1159 star wheel can be yours for only $57,900. And now a word from our sponsor, Bell & Ross. Bell & Ross is well known for their advanced time instruments inspired by aeronautical equipment and a love of flight. The new BRX5 marks a bold new move for the brand, combining the urban sophistication of the integrated bracelet BRO5 design with a new sense of technical and architectural detailing with the new BR Caliber 323, which features a 70 hour power reserve shown right on the dial, as well as a free sprung balance and chronometer certification for dependable accuracy. Modern in design through and through, the heritage of Bell & Ross from the first BR01 is visible in the appealing circle and square design language. Learn more about the BRX5 at bellross.com. Learn more about the BRX5 at bellross.com. And now it's time for the release of the week. Alpina goes bump in the night. Alpina is the sister sports watch brand of Frederick Constant, but one with its own uh, distinct history. Um, I believe the, the brand actually dates back to the late 18, Hundreds uh, known for adventure watches, pilot watches, uh, military watches, etc. cetera, uh, where Frederick Constant airs on, on sort of uh, classical watches, traditional watches, and dress watches. They do their sports stuff through Alpina. So you want to find a rugged dive watch, that's where it is. But because they are also part of Frederick Constant or sister brand, they get access to Frederick Constant's in-house calibers. Uh, they don't call them that, they're sort of rebranded, but it they have the same architecture. These days, though, they are actually both owned by the Citizen Group, which, interestingly enough. Last year, Alpina launched a very strange watch. Actually, that's inaccurate. They launched a strange movement in a watch. Part of their Heritage Pilot line, it featured a new in-house caliber from the brand, but rather than featuring a complication or, or any new function or really a new design, it featured a relic of watchmaking history. It was a bumper movement. 
So early versions of automatic uh, calibers featured an oscillating weight or rotor that didn't spin a full 360 degrees. They didn't spin freely. Rather, they spun part of the way and then hit a spring and bounced back. They bumped into the spring. You don't come across these watches very often. Sometimes, um, I think typically if I've ever seen one, it's been an Omega. There were a lot of Omega bumper like Seamasters back in the day. Um, and yeah, you can feel it kind of banging around inside the watch. It's a, it's a very strange thing. And like I said, sort of predates the full free spinning automatic rotor. Making one in 2021, uh, just for the hell of it, was, was frankly really amazing. I think that this watch was uh, totally overlooked um, last year. You know, got some appreciation, but I think the sheer uh, absurdity of it, uh, cool absurdity, like fun absurdity, was 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 overlooked and not quite appreciated. But I think it's great. You know, most brands are frankly pretty boring and very conservative, particularly when movements are concerned, because developing them, altering them, is just very expensive. So it's not something brands tend to do for something fun. That's just fun. So it was a very exciting launch last year, but the watch it came in not quite as exciting as the movement within. This week, however, they launched two new versions that are much, much more appealing, at least to my eye. So a duo of limited editions, both feature Alpina's 40.75 millimeter barrel case, but it's only 42 millimeters long. So it's like a, a fun little like square on the wrist, it has these big, beautiful polished bevels on it. It's a nice looking case. But then for the dials, they went with a, a sort of a more classic pilot style. Uh, the original bumper watches had applied markers with uh, red lines in them. They just were, it was, it was a distinct look that I just think wasn't for everyone. These new versions have just straightforward and frankly very appealing looking pilot styles. So they have a large applied Arabic numerals on them with uh, printed railroad indexes and large loom plots. They also feature vintage Alpina logos at the top. So the typeface of the Alpina logo is different um, and it's really cool looking. They also have great hands, I noticed. They have these like stick hands with loom fill, but the loom fill gets broken up differently on the hour and the minute hand. Uh, I don't know, I just really like the way they look. So there's two versions of this watch, as I, as I mentioned. One has a steel case, navy blue dial with steel markers. And that one comes in at 3,195. The other is a gold-plated case with what they call a champagne warm gray dial. I'm not really sure what that means, uh, but looking at it, it looks great. It's sort of a it's, a, it's a gray, it's not sun ray. It has what looks like a almost a matte finish. Um, I guess it's a warm gray, but champagne, I think it's a regular. Anyway, it looks really, really nice and has really tall applied black markers on it. That one comes in at 3,395. I kind of wish they also had a version with the steel case and that dial in it, because I don't know if I personally go for the gold case, but either way, these are really nice looking watches. But when you flip either over, um, that's when you'll have, you'll find the real treat, which is that bumper movement, which in addition to having that bumper rotor is fully decked out in rose gold plating, also kind of like those old Omega movements. And just looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, this is really just like a feast for the eyes, especially at the price point. Both of these are limited to 188 pieces. So what do you think? Is this a cool historical nod or just a meaningless novelty? Let us know. Now it's time for my two cents. If you want them, I don't know. It's been a little while since I've given you my two cents. So, well, here they are. Screw down pushers have got to go. This isn't a huge problem, obviously. 
But man, I, I really can't stand screw down pushers. I'm a self-confessed chronograph man, even maybe even a little obsessive over them. I've owned many chronographs. I own currently own many chronographs, too many chronographs. From Siegel ST19s to Valju 7750s to Lamanio 5100s uh, to Seiko VK64 Mecha Quartz chronographs, such as our recently launched Nevada Collab seen here. Sorry. Shameless plug. But one thing I don't own, and uh, maybe never will, I certainly don't plan on it, is a chronograph with screw-down pushers. Aesthetically, I don't have an issue with them. Um, they can even look cool, adding sort of a more rugged element to the side of the case. You know, they give us, make a watch almost look armored. However, the idea of having to unscrew them it just absolutely infuriates me. You know, what if you miss the moment because you have to sit there and fiddle with a little little collar, a little screw thing, and you, you can't start your chronograph on time. That just is baffling to me. Then obviously you can't just leave them unscrewed to make the watch easier to use. That's just insane. That's like walking around with your fly down or your shoes untied. It's just completely unacceptable. Plus the watches often look really weird with them out. Like they designed them so that the pushers will be in, but then when they're out, it's sort of like it's open looking. There are often little spaces between the collar and the case um, or little gaps left there that are just unseemly. But more importantly, it's just not needed. You're not gonna accidentally start your chronograph by bumping into it. Uh, I don't really feel like that's much of a concern. Um, and if water ingress is your concern, you know, like get with the times. Good seals will keep water out and good engineering can actually allow for underwater usage of chronographs. Um, some sins I allowed for this, I believe, such as the U1000 chronograph. So I say brands just engineer it so that you can push those pushers underwater. I don't know, or just be careful. This isn't a huge issue. We're not plagued by screw down crowns, um, but one of the most iconic chronographs features these pesky pusher protectors, the Rolex Daytona. While I'm not exactly in the market, or friendly enough with any ADs to get one even if I was, I can't help but not be able to fully get into the Daytona, a watch that is so beloved because of this one little detail. So what do you think? Am I insane? Do screw down pushers need to go? Do you swear by them? Let's hear it. And that's it for episode 27. Thanks again to Bell and Ross for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to check out the BRX5 at bellross.com. Like, rate, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode of A Week in Watches. And please go to warnandwound.com daily for watch news and reviews. I'll see you next time.